This is the Gender Card Podcast from Griffith University's Gender Equality Research Network. I'm Nance Haxton, and together we will speak to the vanguard of remarkable researchers breaking down the issues of gender equality, women's leadership and gender inclusivity in all realms of life. Violence against women is a major human rights violation and public health problem the world over, prevalent across all societies. Today on The Gender Card, we will speak to three academics leading the way in a just-announced landmark Australian Research Council Centre of Excellence, which will gather much-needed data by investigating the causes of this violence. The ARC Centre for Excellence for the Elimination of Violence Against Women, or CVOR, will become the world's leading research program to stop violence against women. It will be interdisciplinary, focused on the Indo Pacific and Indigenous centred. Monash University's Professor Jackie True joins us today as Director of the Centre, along with Griffith University's Professor Sarah Davies as Deputy Director of the Centre's Indo Pacific Research and Relationships. Professor Patrick O'Leary also joins us to tell us about his role as a Chief Investigator in the Centre and the hope they all have that CVOR will bring the integral breakthrough so desperately needed for lasting societal change. The Griffith Gender Card podcast acknowledges the people who are the traditional custodians of the land, pays respect to the elders past and present, and extends that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Sarah, Jackie and Patrick, welcome to The Gender Card. Thank you for having us. Congratulations, firstly, on this ARC funding. This is not insignificant. This is truly a a great achievement. You must be very excited. Tell us about the CVOR project. We are indeed very excited because what this is about is not just about research. This is about making a difference in community and making a difference across the whole Indo-Pacific region and hopefully even the world. And I think it's really appropriate that our director, the only woman... Of the 11 that were announced, the only woman who is going to be a director of an ARC Centre of Excellence tells us what this centre is all about. Jackie. Thanks, Sarah, and uh, thanks so much for hosting us on the Gender Card. The Centre of Excellence for the Elimination of Violence Against Women, CVOR, has a really ambitious goal to really develop key pathways to reduce violence against women toward its elimination in seven years. So we're going to build the evidence which shows how communities within Australia and across the Indo-Pacific region, specifically Aotearoa, New Zealand, the Pacific Islands and Southeast Asia, how they can move toward eliminating all forms of violence against women. Incredible. And making bridges between universities in Australia as well in order to to get to the bottom of of that. Is that right? Of course. And and, uh, not only across institutions in Australia, but across 10 academic disciplines in the social sciences, which um, tend to do their own thing and not work together, and as well as collaborating with 17 partner investigators from research institutes and universities across the region and even beyond in the global north. And am I right, I hear that this is the first ARC project being awarded on gender, is that correct? So it is the first centre of excellence that has been dedicated to research on women. 
and and it's really important for that reason because it also signifies that in 2022 we have had a lot of centres that have been created and yet this is the first one to be really dedicated to an area that affects women's lives and communities across you know our country every day and so the dedication of research to this building an evidence base and communicating this research because that's also really important we want to make sure that this research is taken up we create expertise we support undergraduates postgraduates people in the community doing this work this center is is dedicated to supporting that as well which you know people have been doing for a long time now and this is about identifying the fact that this work is happening and it needs to be researched there needs to be an evidence base for it and we need to make sure that it is you know that there is expertise that is recognized in this area as well to prevent it I think that's exactly right, Sarah. Um, what we want to be able to do as researchers is build the capacity of our students and colleagues in the region to really be tooled in, in multidisciplinary methods and to be able to build the, the workforce, including the research workforce, for the violence against women sector so that we can build it in such a way that we don't have this problem in the next century, in the next generation. Patrick, you're part of this expertise. Can you tell us a bit about, really, what does a chief investigator do as part of this project? Well, there's quite a number of chief investigators and our role is really to together lead different initiatives and bring people together. It's a very multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary team and really aiming not to have solos of CIs chief investigators we really want to work together so there's a lot of working across different streams because the issue of violence against women is intersectional it's interrelated it goes through not only on the basis of gender but also through organizations institutions and states so how we actually work together is really critical to how we come up with evidence-based solutions about how do we eliminate violence it sounds like you're doing some interesting work really looking at the role of bystanders in this as well that sounds like it's quite innovative yeah absolutely a really exciting part because what we lack in our responses to violence against women is really that community action. We're generating that slowly, but when when we actually have bystanders actively involved in speaking out about violence, and but also speaking out about some of the drivers of violence, you know the you know misogynist ad- attitudes, attitudes that condone the use of violence. When we begin to build a culture where we we're actually feel comfortable enough to call someone out to say, hey, that wasn't okay, or what, how come you thought that way, or how come you think that was an okay thing to say? It starts to build a bit of the momentum of change rather than people being told what to do by people with a different sort of power relationship. So bystanders also offer a real offer of change in communities, where there's different cultural understandings around relationships and and religious beliefs, etc. So where you build that within a community of bystanders, that's where you 
have have the most power. It's really broaching those difficult conversations, isn't it? I mean, this is yeah. something that people have talked about in, in hushed tones in in many living rooms across the country, but don't really know how to respond if they hear some violence next door or even within their family. You'll be looking at a research base for what to do in that sense? Yeah, and one of the really interesting things here is whilst we know about bystanders, there isn't a really strong evidence base on how bystanders can act and what what do they need to be able to intervene? What What sort of community education, training... And how do we actually build an evidence base about what would work as a bystander? So people can feel, you know, that they're not just acting on their values and their intuition. They've got some something that actually informs how they could respond. And the, the bystander movement is, is quite large, but it does surprisingly lack a really solid evidence base about how do we do it? How do organisations support people? Have you got any ideas or what you'll be looking at? I mean, how do you build community values in that sense? It's very interesting. Well, I think I think there's lots of opportunities, and I think even those have increased with you know the use of tech, work, apps, how we engage in social conversations, public conversations about gender, about violence, about what roles we play. And I think, you know, we've had some... There's some examples of where we have change community attitudes quite considerably in in on other issues one example that's often given is drink driving yeah. we have generally a public attitude that is not supportive it doesn't let people get away with saying oh it's only one more drink or i feel okay it's actually really quite socially unacceptable in most streams of society but yet, surprisingly enough, something so serious as violence against women, we don't have those public norms as, as established. It is interesting, just from my, even my point of view, I know when I was a cadet journalist, editors were really quite explicit in uh, when we were doing the police beat and crossing out the stories that were domestics, as they called them, saying, no, no, people don't want to read about that and we don't, we don't talk about that. So it has moved on and there seems to have been some pivotal moments in that. Rosie Batty, I think, sort Absolutely. of moved that conversation along. But uh, Grace Tame, even in, her, in, in various ways, it's, it's all been incremental but, yeah, to make that societal shift, it just that does seem to be the, the missing link in a way, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think there's a, as a uh, chief investigator here, but also a male chief investigator, I think, you know, it's really important that we're all part of the change process and, and different communities have different roles and the role of men is quite critical because, uh, as been said to me, you know, we need to stop violence at its source, and, and not to say all violence is committed by men, but the vast majority is. And so, therefore, those conversations are really important to occur, you know, in men's culture, in men masculinity. But also, I think, I have a sense of hope about this, because I think there's sorts of possibilities this offers young people, to, to rewrite some of the things that older generations have created around norms to actually change that narrative is really exciting and, you know, a great source of hope. So one area that we really want to develop is to build a really innovative approach to how we respond to 
perpetrators of violence, mostly men. And what we know is there's a lot of responses, for example, in Australia and overseas that don't have a, as solid evidence base as we would like. But we also have tended, what's tended to happen is we've had a quite a reactionary position to violence where programs have come in ahead of research, really. And so we have implemented programs for perpetrators without an evidence base sometimes and kept on going and sort of try to build the evidence base around a program that wasn't founded on evidence. So I think this is a really exciting chance to do different things with perpetrators, extend that boundary about what might change. You know, think about how we might, for, for example, we have a very strong Indigenous methodology and process, and often what we see in perpetrator programs is largely Western-based ideas put on Aboriginal men around how they might change their behaviour. That doesn't take into account cultural processes, connection to country and connection to the meaning around culture that we know could be very protective in terms of preventing and stopping violence. So, And there's other examples and groups that we could do. And as you mentioned, I mean, that intersectional basis for it too, I mean, this comes back to colonialism and everything and how this has affected culture as, as it is now. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and, and I think also, you know, something we're increasingly understanding around the perpetration of violence is that, you know, men also use violence against men, other men. Often men have experiences in their family of origin that have are very traumatic and therefore you get that intersectionality not only on culture but mental health, poverty, intergenerational uh, issues that relate to violence. So, you know, we can't just treat and respond to one thing when we're thinking about how do we actually eliminate violence. We need to also respond to issues of trauma, issues of the effects of trauma, as well as all those attitude things and and behavioural change. And what an incredible opportunity to, to have it over so many cultures through this region and to see the similarities and differences there. Absolutely. And different ideas of masculinity, which is really exciting. And, and I think there's examples in, you know, particularly in our region where, you know, the typical Anglo, white, Aussie bloke, you know, it challenges some of those, you know, quite narrow, rigid gender roles. And I think that the narrative that can be quite liberating for men, you know, like this isn't about a corrective process of men but rather a liberation and uh, empowering about non-violent and non-abusive lives. That research base, it probably explains why uh, that lack of research, why some of these programs have been so hit and miss to some degree, that there just doesn't seem to have been that, that progress in many ways on attitudes, on change. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think I think that's because sometimes we also use very... You know, almost mirror sometimes a violent response to a perpetrator in how we sanction that behaviour, which can unwittingly reinforce power imbalance and violent behaviour. So we've got to really be consistent in how this is a you know a values proposition sometimes about how we how we respond to people who use violence, and there's a whole spectrum. 
Sounds like you're pretty excited to be involved in this, yeah, Patrick. Yeah, I can see really it thrilled. On, on your face. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a long-term commitment, though. This isn't going to be a quick one, by the sound of it. Yeah, ab- absolutely. It's, um, you know, it is a long-term commitment, but I actually think, you know, we can really change things. And, and it's a unique, often in, in research and a lot of programs I've been involved in and evaluating, they're very short-term, but seven years is a... Mm where we can really find out what works and what what works and can be sustained. We often find in this space we can measure some short-term change, but we don't really know what happens five years later. Do people revert back to, you know, their previous mean, basically? So I think that's really exciting. We can see what's sustainable. Gives you reason for your optimism in this uh, topic which has really just, I think it's broken so many hearts the, for absolutely. people around Australia watching it roll out the way it has. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and certainly the work that uh, I've been involved in is particularly with working accountability to people who experience violence, women and children. They have a lot of hope that their dad or their partner will make positive change. So we have to be hopeful. Like we owe people that. As long as it's not false hope, it's, it's realistic hope. So what Patrick just said about mm. uh, different communities, if we think about it as well across the region, I think what's really important too with the centre is that it is actually about identifying community practice and providing that evidence base for a lot of work mm. that's being done. This was one of the things that was really inspirational to Jackie and I when mm. we first started to think about what you know, the centre could look like in collaboration, of course, with our other brilliant chief investigators was <laughs> the fact that we were talking to individuals or communities who were doing this work. But what they didn't have time to do, what they didn't have funding to do, was to do that analysis of what works, what doesn't work, to build the evidence base and to think about how they could translate that to research and then research to policy and be able to demonstrate their work over time. So what Patrick was saying just then, often the projects are short term. The funding is cyclical. It can be dependent on politicians' engagement and interest. Or like you said, Nance, it can be dependent on what communities feel comfortable talking about. So the result then is this work may be hidden, underfunded, underappreciated, or it can be achieving great work in community and community knows what it's the impact it's having but it's not getting that chance to be promoted and so for us it's about this is the chance for seven years to be able to go to our partners and to have conversations around the design of the research and the delivery of the evidence around you know what is working and what isn't working to a really large, hopefully, you know, worldwide community. And that to us is what is powerful about the centre, but also to come back to Patrick's point, hopeful as well to those then who are going to be giving us so much of their of their time and their trust when we were designing this, this application. Um, it's just wonderful now to be able to, you know, to, to say to our partners that we've been listening and we now really want to try and design something with them that can improve on what they're doing and hopefully be distributed beyond as well one or two communities. 
What a great validation of your proposal too, that it's over seven years. It's just fantastic to have that support. Yeah, it is fantastic. And I also think what would be really exciting for everyone in CVOR, both the researchers and the 32 partner organisations that we have, is actually to be able to join the dots with what we've all been doing in this space, often in a siloed and a piecemeal way. And now we'll be able to be part of a regional network, a community of theory and practice, and we'll be able to mutually share some of the good practices, as well as to share the evidence, to learn from one another, and also to, to expect that the learning won't be one way. It won't be just the researchers doing the teaching and the, and the, and the practitioners doing the learning. It, it will be both ways. And I would also say for those researchers and, and, and organisations in the Pacific Islands, in Southeast Asia, in Aotearoa, New Zealand, that we in Australia may be learning a lot from communities in those places. We know that many communities in the region, for example, are very used to crises and are very used to protecting one another uh, and trying to prevent the worst impacts of crises like natural disasters, like pandemics, you know, like uh, community <coughs> conflicts. Floods. Yep, all of that. And we sadly can expect more of that in the future. So we do actually need to, to band together and to figure out how to prepare and how to, to ensure that, you know, that those shocks that we might not be able to prevent per se, but we can prevent the worst impacts and we can uh, definitely prevent another shadow pandemic as we saw during the COVID-19 pandemic where we had you know, not only increased domestic and family violence, but we had increased severity of violence. And was that seen across the region, Jackie? Yes. Or was it just an Australian phenomenon? I mean, I think, yes, mm. That's exactly right. And I think what is surprising when we have somehow a global pandemic is actually that we saw very similar impacts mm. on violence against women within and across communities. And so there is there, we've got this common problem and we've got this common opportunity to tackle it and to learn from one another. And the Indo-Pacific region offers us this incredibly rich and diverse region with communities of, of different size and scale, with different cultural norms, with different extents of endemic violence against women to be able to kind of test out some of those promising practices, prevention approaches, and to be able to build that evidence, which we can share, we can adapt, and we can nuance for, for the different contexts that we have in this region. And to find out some of those common threads across cultures, like you say, if there, if there is a, another disaster, which there will be, but uh, what, what can be put in place really across cultures or what needs to be quite specific, I suppose. I think also what to us was really important as well is if you go back and you look at COVID-19 pandemic and if you look at a number of other emergencies as well as that, in hindsight, you think, well, of course we were going to see this occur, right? And yet there was this disconnect between what we think in hindsight, oh, of course this is going to happen, and then what is privileged and what's prioritised in terms of the way expertise is being assembled at the start of a crisis and what is going to be the priority in terms of resources and time. And I think this is also another really important aspect of the centre because we are actually paying a lot of attention to crises. That's part of the, one of the work streams that we're going to be doing. And it's actually about identifying that when you don't prioritise 
any form of gender-based violence, what you're going to see then is a longer recovery tale. You're going to then also have these other kinds of waves of crisis that will emerge within your society because of this failure to recognise that that kind of violence that's occurring across public and private spaces and then the impact that it has on families and and communities participation in recovery has this really detrimental impact and it can then take a long time to recover from that so for us it's about being able to say that how can we make sure that in future disasters preparedness planning but also response is not treating violence as something that is just as you know something that you just have to respond to that's a symptom or like you said everyone just crosses off the domestics and goes oh well that's not big news but as actually thinking about from the system-wide approach so if we're thinking about societies that kind of violence occurring on that scale really does require prioritization at the outset and having responses and policy in place to try and make sure that it's it's not proliferating. And for all those different aspects of the system, I mean, there's the justice system involved, there's the health system, there's economic factors, political. So breaking that down in your research as well. And not just breaking that down, but bringing that together. Together. Mm -hmm. Because we've had disciplines which treat, you know, which address each of those systems, (laughs) but don't see their connections. Uh, And there's multiple system failures, right, in responding to violence against women and definitely in in preventing it. And so the opportunity to bring together the disciplines in in an interdisciplinary research program is the opportunity to, to look across all those systems and how they connect and how they disconnect. And it has to be said too, it requires, I think, a unique mindset, you know, because This is particularly also, I think, an example where how universities, but also ministerial portfolios, were all kind of designed right in a way to be quite silo. We have our budgets, we have our key performance indicators, we have our students enrolled in our courses. What we're trying to do here is is really ambitious, but it also speaks to the way forward to address a very complex social problem. It isn't just occurring in one discipline or in one location. And it does in the types of responses, as you heard from Patrick, you know, it's also thinking about masculinity, you know, and and a lot of people say, oh, but that's going to take too long. How do we start to change that? And it's about actually, if we don't recognise that, at the at the very beginning, that this is a societal-wide project, that is where change actually starts to happen. You know, you, it, it doesn't need to be daunting. It can actually be a chance for us to have a really fantastic way of changing how society views violence and how we can make sure that all of our children and everyone in our community feel safe. And that isn't it worth us spending time doing that? You know, to me, when people say to me, oh, that's going to take too long. Well, what could be more important than making sure that we don't have perpetrators and we don't have victims and survivors? Isn't that worth taking time and, and doing it really well and building the evidence base? And, and I think also that's what's been fantastic is that, you know, the, those who read the proposal and approved it see that, see that it's worthwhile taking the time and making the investment. And I wanted to add to what Sarah said. Mm. It's um, it's also we're going to make a difference 
to how society views women as well. And in some respects, we could say a lot of ARC centres of excellence have focused possibly on men and the way men saw the world, understood it and, and sought to prioritise and tackle certain problems. And I think through the centre, which which has both female and male chief investigators and partners, we'll actually be able to elevate the, the, the status of gender equality in science and in research uh, and provide really meaningful models uh, of partnership for future research and future role modelling, which can actually change the inclusivity of, of the research community and our ability to, to tackle a whole range of problems, including but beyond violence against women. Uh, and so I think that's really important as well. And I think one of the things that we have seen, uh, both Sarah and I, as we've worked on previous projects that I think have built toward the ARC Centre, is that when we look at violence against women, it is not it's not a small problem, but it's, it's a very significant problem. And in fact, violence against women in any given society is a lead indicator of many other poor outcomes and failures. So there is a connection there. And certainly we can't expect to achieve many of our social, political and economic goals if we don't address uh, this violence, which is really hampering so many individuals, so many institutions, and definitely all, all of our communities uh, and societies. To me, it's sad that it's not just the, the incredible deaths and the spiralling figures of domestic violence, but as you say, it affects so many different aspects of society and that we have to highlight that for people to perhaps actually take notice. And in societies, perhaps in Australia, we think violence against women is, is mainly about domestic violence, but there are other types as well. Mm. And they do exist in Australia, but they're not talked about. And they, they relate to things like forced marriage, mm -hmm. uh, child marriage, which are still relatively endemic uh, in the region, but they're also in Australia. And I think really important as well is the types of violence perpetrated by states themselves, and where women and girls are often targeted for sexual violence in the context of political situations, crisis situations. And this is this is not going away. I mean, we see this in, in many contexts in the region. We've seen it in the Pacific. We see it in the Philippines and Indonesia, in Thailand. And I think it's part of the picture of violence against women. And we are at a point in the world today, despite the, the talk uh, and the evolution of certain kinds of policy frameworks, international frameworks, uh, we actually don't see... Uh, any significant decrease in this type of violence. In fact, we see many indications that there is increasing violence against women who are politically active, for example, women who are defending human rights, women who are protecting the environment uh, and Even their in the, land. in the digital space as well. Yes, and the technology-facilitated abuse, uh, which targets women and children for exploitation, a hate crime. These are new types of violence, and uh, we're going to be studying these in CIVOR, and we're actually really open-minded about other types of violence which perhaps we don't even know about now um, but we're going to be listening to people we're going to be surveying people we're going to be working with communities to find out about other harms uh, that that particularly affect women but but also affect uh, the whole community. Can you tell us a bit about how this centre is actually going to look? How far does this footprint extend and the countries that are involved, how, how is this all 
going to work as you set it up in the next few months? So we have our in university partners within Australia, uh, which our, our chief investigators are located across Monash University, Griffith University. We also have the University of Melbourne with one of our deputy directors of interdisciplinary, Heather Douglas, is located there. We have Macquarie University with uh, the brilliant Bronwyn Carlson, who is going to be heading our Indigenous pillar. We also have Curtin University, Flinders University and uh, ANU, who are part of the formal bid as chief investigators for the centre. And then we have amazing partner investigators across the Pacific and Southeast Asia, as well as in some locations in uh, North America and Europe. Uh, We have a number of countries that we are going to be focusing the first part of our research on in the region, uh, including Fiji, Papua New Guinea, Samoa, and then we have Indonesia, Philippines, Thailand, Vietnam, and Singapore. As you mentioned, Jackie, the Indigenous aspect of this, I think, is what is interesting, and that will apply to all of the places that you have mentioned and and add that incredible depth that we perhaps are missing at the moment of this research. I think that's right. The Indigenous approach, for me anyway, is really the glue. It's actually essential to the way that we connect across the region and really important in the Indigenous-centred approach is four principles that we have committed to in CVOR. And the first is Indigenous leadership and our governance, and we have that across our research program and our training program, which is led, as Sarah mentioned, by Professor Bromman Carlson. We also have Professor Kylie Cripps, uh, another Indigenous researcher leading some key research streams. And I think we are really committed to putting relationships first. And that's a foundation for the co-designed research that we're planning across all of our work streams. Then we really aim to promote material equity with First Nations peoples. And that means that we will be aiming to employ research assistants to give back to community, to ensure that there are real benefits uh, to communities of the research in the short term, not only in the long term after the seven years. And I think that that relates to that principle of community benefit as well as material equity. And so we have quite a tangible way to to, to take forth that Indigenous-centred approach, as well as having a training program, which mm-hmm. all chief investigators, associates, all the PhD students and postdocs who are trained uh, in the centre will uh, benefit from having learnt uh, Indigenous methodologies and ethics uh, and ways to work with community and to put community at the centre of their research and the translation of that research for the benefit of others. And if I could put in a plug for one of our previous podcasts, Debbie Begali and Carla Tampia were talking about Indigenous methodologies. And Debbie's been a really key integral member of the Griffith team and is going to be with the centre. And we're really excited, you know, to to have her expertise. We have programs coming back to Patrick's point as well about the importance of addressing colonisation. That is also a key part of the centre is addressing the continued impacts of colonisation in Australia, the prevalence of racism as well. It's really important that we address this and we have research dedicated to understanding this because this is also about trust, trust within communities and who they and who they feel safe 
talking to and engaging with. And so this also adds to as well the importance of of reciprocity and ensuring that there is as well, you know, community ownership. The other thing I wanted to add as well is that we have commitments in the centre in terms of representation. And what I would really love to do if I could at this point is just, you know, if you're an individual listening to this podcast and you're particularly thinking about work that you're doing or if you are an Indigenous affiliated individual or you see yourself as having Indigenous representation, it'd be really great for us to be able to have contact with you and and hear about the way in which you may like to engage with the centre as well from a research perspective because we're also, we know we want to make sure that we are practising what we're saying here in terms of inclusion. So what do you hope that CIVOR will deliver over these seven years? Well, ultimately, CIVOR will deliver the evidence which shows tangible pathways on how to reduce violence toward its elimination. We have made a commitment to the Australian Research Council, uh, the Australian government and the Australian people that we will build the evidence on what works to eliminate violence against women. We want to have a regional network, so we're going to have what's called the CIVOR Regional Network. And for us, what is really important there is the way in which we talk about other types of annual events where we celebrate and talk about particular issues that are of importance to community or to uh, populations around the region, that CIVOR becomes part of that uh, conversation. And, and people know about the Seville Regional Network and they want to be part of it and they want to be learning from it and contributing to it and giving to it. We're also going to have a Seville Alumni Network. So it's really important to us that everyone who has been part of Seville, if they can't stay there for the full seven years, that they go back into their organisation or into their community and they feel like they are representing and carrying forward the research, but also the principles of CIVOR with whatever it is that they go on to do. It's a legacy for us as well, which is really important. Brings us back to that hope. I think Jackie, again, as Patrick mentioned, and that that's what you're aiming for, the elimination of violence against women. We haven't given up on that aim. Definitely not. And I think um, for all of us, that is the vision of CIVOR and that's what's brought us together. And I think the process of of coming together for this application and being awarded this incredible funding from the Australian Research Council has given us a huge boost and we're going to build that momentum. We want to involve more people and organisations in the momentum and we're, we're really committed to making a difference here. Thanks to Director of the ARC Centre of Excellence for the Elimination of Violence Against Women, Professor Jackie True, Seavor Deputy Director of Indo-Pacific, Sarah Davies, and Chief Investigator, Professor Patrick O'Leary, for joining us on this episode of The Gender Card. And that's all for this episode of The Gender Card. This podcast was produced by the Gender Equality Research Network by Nance Haxton, with production assistance from Michael Adams. Stay up to date with this Griffith University podcast on all the major podcast providers, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud. Speak to you again soon.